This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hi, I'm Liz Cork. And I'm Katie King. And this is True, True Crime, Crime New England. England. Welcome back, everybody, for an exciting week of true crime in New England. Hello. <laughs> Last week we had a pretty, it wasn't fun, but it was, it was fun. Yeah, it was, uh, <laughs> it was super interesting, for yes. sure. Very different. Very different than what we normally do. Mm-hmm. So we're back in it today with the crazy stuff, with the murder and the sadness. Yeah. I don't know what you guys expected from us. It's literally in the title. Anyway. <laughs> so I started reading a book. Yeah. It's a book that my dad put in my room after, um, like, while I was gone at college. Um, And then when I came home from COVID, you know, with with Mm -hmm. COVID break going on, it just stayed and collected dust, like, on my dresser. And then when I moved, I was like, I need to read. I'm not studying for the NCLEX anymore. I'm not in school. I need to read this book finally. Or just read a book in general. It's been too long. So I started reading it at work. I got through, like, 200 pages. Holy shit. Because, one, it was very quiet yeah. and I know we hate that word as healthcare professionals but, but it was it's in the past now yes. it was very quiet <laughs> sure. and uh. so it's like 600 pages it, it's a book you never want to put down it is so good I cannot recommend it any higher but it's like so good oh my god can we do like a book swap after can I borrow it when yes, you're done absolutely yes, we should do a book swap it's very good that's crazy I can't stop reading it that's crazy yeah it's great oh that's awesome what have you been reading oh my god so <laughs> Oh, this book, oh my God, it's called Sharp Objects by Jillian Flynn, the same author that wrote Gone Girl. She's most famous for Gone Girl. Um, I've read, she has a couple other books that I've read, Mm -hmm. but this one, it's also a series on HBO. I was going to say, it sounds Mm -hmm. familiar. Amy Adams plays the main character. Love it. Does a phenomenal job. I'm sure. The series does a really good job portraying the book. Sometimes that's my issue is like I read the book and then the series or the movie just does not do it justice. Yeah. Series was amazing. Great. Totally watch it. I recommend that if you're not into books, watch the series. But 100%. Amy Adams and anything is great. Fair enough. Okay. That sounds incredible. Yeah. Um, With the series and with the book, I will do like a content warning for self-harm. Okay. Um, She does, you learn about how she spent some time in a psych hospital before self-harm. Yeah, yeah. But she writes words onto herself. That's why it's called Sharp Objects is because she writes words. Oh, okay. And so the book chapters. Yeah. And then also the episode chapters, like the episode titles. Oh, do they line up? Are named after words she has on herself that coincide. It's, yeah. That's crazy. Jillian Flynn is an author, period. It's phenomenal, but yeah. Oh my God. We'll do a book swap. Absolutely. Please, I beg you. I beg you. That sounds insane. I love that already. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, today we're going to be covering, it's a, it's sad, mm-hmm. breaks your heart, breaks my heart. Um, it's a good one though. It is a good one. Yeah. And it's not one I had ever heard of. So I'm interested to kind of bring light to certain subjects um, involved with it for mm-hmm. sure. Without further ado, we will be covering the case of Constance Fisher. Fisher.
All right, so the case of Constance Fisher, this takes place and we never, it feels like we never go to Maine anymore. And I know we've only done, this is our 12th episode, mm -hmm. but I feel like we have more episodes, you know. In other Everywhere, states. but yeah. th this week we're in Maine again. Hello, mm -hmm. Maine. Hi, Maine. We're in Maine right now. Yes, Just connected go. that. How Perfect. dumb, how dumb <laughs> am I? Um, so we're gonna be talking about Constance Fisher. Yes. Um, this is a very sad case and it's complicated and it involves some aspects where she is absolutely guilty of what she did. Yeah. But there are some aspects of it where you're like, she almost, she was sick. She was yeah. very sick. Mm -hmm. So it's crazy stuff. So before we get into it, as always, Katie, sources, please. Murderpedia. Classic. Of course. Does the it even need to be said? <laughs> <laughs> the Bible. Yes. Um, I know. I saw she was on Murderpedia. I'm like, that we struggled. Yeah, like, this is yeah. such a good source, always. Oh, always. Um, MyPlainView.com had a good article oh, on this. Okay. New York Daily News had an article on this. Um, and a man named Bob Briggs, he published a book called The Constance Fisher Tragedy. Mm. Um, I wasn't able to access the whole book, but sometimes Google gives you a preview of like yeah. the first couple pages. Um, I was able to read the first, I think like 25 or 30 pages. Nice. And so that just alone, those pages had really good information. Great. So, and he did a phenomenal job. Um, with you know the part that I read, so right, awesome. Yeah, he's okay. a good author, so yeah. that was a good source. Great. Um, I also had New York Daily Times Murderpedia, of course. Um, I watched this great YouTube video by someone named Nikki is sad, oh. and she did a fantastic job. It, she said it was part one of like three. She never uploaded anymore. What? Yeah, I was like, oh, I was waiting for the next part because I was going <laughs> to use it because they were so good. I also got information from this woman who apparently lives in Maine as well, um, who ha does her own thing where she does a, like makeup and then talks about Maine cases. It's very like low key. Um, it's not like Bailey Sarian, some of you may know, who mm -hmm. does her own. She's a big, big YouTube star with her own like franchise, and she does murder mystery Monday. She does her makeup and her murder. But anyway, different girl. She did a great job. She was, her account was called lead the way and she did a good job. And I was just, you know, just listening to that. She did a good job. So let's start with Constance Fisher. Yes. Now Constance was born in an unknown main location. I don't know what town March 26th of 1929. Um, her birth name was actually Mary Teresa McConnell, but the first year of her life, she was a ward of the state. So she didn't have any parents. She was kind of bouncing around foster homes. And after she turned one, she was adopted by a family. Um, I don't have their names, but she was adopted. And, you know, so she was born in 1929. Unfortunately, by 1935, both of these adopted parents had died. Oh, my God. So she was six, had been a ward of the state for the first year of her life, and then was adopted. And then both of those parents died. Poor thing, right? Oh my god. Yeah. So she eventually um, was taken care of by their close friends, the Marcus. Um, and so the this family, I can't remember the dad's name, but the mom's name was Ursula. Because you don't forget a name like that. No. <laughs> but they had so they had seven children of their own, but five of them had died in infancy. Oh my god. Yeah, so when uh, when Constance was coming on to this family. Um, I believe it was the first family that adopted her that renamed her Constance. Um, when she came into this family, she had already lost her 
real parents and then her adopted parents and now she was in this family where they had lost five children in infancy like stillborn or sickness they never reached childhood so she from the start had these kind of skewed family views and this fear she was very religious she was raised in a religious home so she was just so you know had these fears and was upset so when she was little she went to her family's church and um, she went and she confided in this priest at the church and you know how sad she was that she lost all those people and you know and the priest reassured her that anybody under the age of seven automatically gets into heaven yep and that'll become very important later so she now had this idea in her head that if you are seven or under like a, a child you automatically no matter what you do you go to heaven Right? Oh, Jesus Christ. Yes. So she, after seeing all this loss and sadness, she had a shitty, you know, just not saying that like her family, the ones she ended up with were shitty to her, but like it just was a sad situation overall. A shitty situation. Mm -hmm. So she, you know, it was sad. She, She was a very fun, energetic child, very vibrant. She loved to learn about how to be a a housewife essentially she Mm -hmm. loved to learn how to sew needlepoint cook she was all into that her dream was to be a housewife and honestly girl same like do not blame you even a little (laughs) now that i'm in the work for i'm like oh shit i get it girl i wish i sewed more as a child um so around 10 years old she went to private school in maine she excelled she had a very high iq she was a very smart young girl you know, life threw all the shit at her, and she took it, and she ran with it, and she did a great job. And then, you know, she started to kind of fiddle-faddle, you know, mm-hmm. out when she got into high school. And when she was 17, she met her husband, Carl, Carl Fisher, which is where she gets Constance Fisher. And she, so she met him in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, he was nine years older than her, which is slightly scandalous because she was 17 yeah but he was a good guy he is no he is no bad part in this story he was an all right guy um and he was i want to say air force or he was in the military and so they got married and this of course you know this because it's the you know 40s whatever they get engaged a few weeks after their relationship begins and then you know they're married and they married in june of 1946 and guys it was so romantic their honeymoon augusta maine so beautiful if you guys don't know that's the state capital and there's like one like a big town hall and it's surrounded like they have a lot of flags and um there's like a mcdonald's there's a dairy queen in augusta like there's a lot of good it's just so boring i i read that and i was like they went on a honeymoon to augusta that is the saddest thing i've oh, ever read God. hopefully it was a little more cute and quaint in 1946 i would so imagine like a probably less mcdonald's <laughs> less dairy queen yeah. yeah yeah but you know they got married and it seemed okay it seemed you know they had a good relationship and she was finally getting what she always wanted to be housewife mm-hmm. and honestly power to her she was ready for it yeah carl did a good job um he was able to kind of provide for constance and the kids that they went on to have he had a really good job with the main central railroad um and then soon they had three kids three kids in quick succession yeah boom boom so it was like they had richard who was age six um at the time of this incident right richard was six they had another son daniel Mm -hmm. so his age is kind of disputed i read in one source he was five and a half 
Um, and then I read another source. He was four. And then I read in another another source. It was he was four as well. So okay, it's interesting. Spe- it's speculated he was four or five. Yeah, around there. And then Richard was six, um, pushing seven years old. Mm-hmm. And they had a baby, Deborah Kay. She was less than a year old. Yes. So that's three kids. All by the time she's twenty-four. Yeah, she's twenty-four at this time. Which isn't really necessarily isn't, no. uncommon at, especially back then. Now even I would say a lot of people have kids very young like yeah. that. But um, that was what she wanted and you know she was perfectly happy with these children until she wasn't um after the birth of deborah her youngest child she started to struggle with postpartum depression Mm -hmm. now postpartum depression is very serious issue it's very real um you know it's i think a lot of people are aware of what postpartum depression is but maybe not to the full extent Um, There's something called the baby blues, which happens a little bit after birth, um, and it's seen for like three to three days to like a week after you give birth. It can happen. Not every woman experiences it, but it's where, you know, you're just extra sad and it could be for so many reasons, mostly because if you think of it, your body just spent nine months building up these hormones, building a human, and all of a sudden it's done. All those hormones come crashing back down. Yeah. So naturally there's a little bit of like a, you know, a sadness or just a fluctuation of emotions yeah a huge hormone imbalance oh you have to deal with all of a sudden too very quick as soon as you give birth those hormones shrink back um with the exception of oxytocin which i'm not gonna i'm not about to get into why you need (laughs) oxytocin and how it shrinks your uterus after yeah i'm not gonna suffer through that for you guys but um so you know postpartum depression um is like an exaggerated, not exaggerated like they're, you know, over, taking it, it over the top, yeah. but like a, a much more serious and bigger deal than po- uh, the baby blues. Yeah. So unlike the baby blues, this lasts for a very long time. It's not just three days to seven days. It's a very long time. And it has much more severe symptoms mm-hmm. than you would see with baby blues, which would just be like getting frustrated. Yeah, maybe being, crying spells. Exactly, yeah. being upset and mm-hmm. like not, you know, you're tired, um, which is all very valid. Don't get me wrong, like 100%. Yeah. As someone who works with women in their first few days after having their baby, they are exhausted. No question about it. This postpartum depression is different, though. Yeah. So... It's a form of depression that begins, it's like within four weeks of delivery, and there's no real like timeline after. Like eventually it gets to the point where it's probably just more like now it's into depression, because after a while, you know, postpartum period only lasts so long. Mm-hmm. But it is, you know, it is something very serious, and it has a ton of different symptoms. Um, it, d- the whole term postpartum depression, post meaning after, partum meaning pregnancy, and then of course depression. Um, so it's a range of physical and emotional changes, and it involves the levels of estrogen and progesterone, which is female reproductive hormones, um, like men have testosterone. Um, and it increases so much during pregnancy. And then all, of course, like I just said, it just pops right back down. Yeah. It's so traumatic. I mean, yeah. birth is traumatic anyway for moms to go through, but yeah. to have to deal with this. And there's so much, we'll talk about it more later too, but I mean, with mental health in general, but especially with this, there's yeah. so much stigma around it and there's so much, because as a new mom, you 
think you're supposed to be happy. I mean, this is like mm -hmm. a joyous and a huge occasion. Like you think you should be happy and yeah. enjoying all these happy emotions. And then when all you want to do is sleep or you feel like crying all the time yeah. and your baby's crying and you don't really want to get up out of bed and go tend to your child, yeah. you feel shame, right. you feel embarrassed, right. you feel like you're crazy because all new moms are supposed to be so happy and like kicking up their heels and right. oh my god I have a new baby this is what yeah. I wanted for nine months and right. years prior so there's a lot of shame I mean even to this day with this absolutely there's a there lot is. of stigma and shame around this condition it's really sad it's really sad it breaks my heart especially as a postpartum nurse mm -hmm. um, you know and you definitely see that and it's it's just heartbreaking it really is because you know like you just said they have this new beautiful little baby and they're just not feeling it yeah it happens it does and they don't want to tell anybody because they feel like there's something wrong with that right this isn't normal to feel when it's totally normal there's just so right. much stigma well you know it's not normal normal but right it happens it's not to uncommon. other people right. right it's not uncommon it happens to other people right exactly and exactly as you said it's viewed as shameful mm -hmm. to, should not be and it's and we'll talk about a further step to this that there's even more yeah. stigma around yeah so just some of the symptoms included with postpartum depression is trouble sleeping, a complete appetite change, lower libido, which means sex drive, lower sex drive, um, frequent mood cha changes, a complete disinterest in your infant. So instead of when they're crying, um, and you, your first instinct is to just naturally go and help them. Um, some women who suffer from postpartum depression just have no interest to go and help them. They don't want to go. They just let them cry. Mm -hmm. You know, severe anger is another one. And then thoughts of hurting yourself or your infant. Mm -hmm. That's another big one um, with postpartum depression. That's severe, severe postpartum yep. depression. Like postpartum psychosis, essentially. Um, so postpartum psychosis is rare. It's nowhere near as common as it is to have postpartum depression. Nowhere near as common as having baby blues. Um, it happens in up to four new mothers out of every 1,000. So it's a pretty small number. Yeah. Um, and it usually begins in the first two weeks after childbirth. Of course, that can change. You know, there's no specific timeline, but that's usually when they see it. And it's a medical emergency for sure because, you know, women who already have like bipolar disorder or like a schizoaffective disorder if they have postpartum psychosis it's like worst case scenario yeah it's very bad yeah and it's not to say that these women are bad moms no or, no no because a lot of the time and we'll see with constance too a lot of the times that these women are so devoted to their children and that's all they wanted in life yeah. is to have their baby and they're so yep. excited and yeah. you know it's just it's it's a mental disorder it they can't really is they can't help it and they're not doing it on purpose and i think that's where some of the distinguishment with this case is is that yeah. the intention behind it right right um yeah it's it's dangerous it is very dangerous postpartum psychosis you know it's a part of Psychosis. psychosis, right? So they have hallucinations, mm -hmm. whether it's visual or they're hearing things, hearing voices, hearing right. things that aren't there, seeing things that aren't actually there. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes they get irritability, rapid mood swings. Oh, yes. So like highs and lows. Manic. And manic, yep. depressive, like all over the place. They're running around the house, cleaning, not sleeping, not eating. Right. You know, they don't need to sleep for three or four days. And then yep. all of a sudden they're in bed. They cannot get up out of bed they for days. They don't want to talk to their infant. They don't want to they're, see anyone. Yep. They don't want to eat. They don't want to clean themselves. Yeah. And then where it really gets dangerous is that they can have the urge to hurt themselves or, or their hurt their infant yeah. more likely with the psychosis is hurting their infant correct or taking on their infant and it's more you hear about moms that will get frustrated with their baby and just shake their baby oh. and oh, 
awful shaken baby, baby syndrome. So bad. You hear about moms or you know dads or partners or whoever getting frustrated with the kid. This yeah. is completely different. Yeah. Way longer and more of a mental factor versus just shaking your baby out of just frustration. Just getting right, right. Yeah. It's yeah. This is fucked. It's but yeah, so sad. We'll talk about how we wanted to talk about those mental illnesses and those disorders just so everybody has an understanding for how they coincide with this case right because sometimes with this case they're not even brought into the picture yeah and they play a huge role with this case it's literally the whole reason the whole reason and it does not excuse the actions that we're going to talk about no but it plays a role yeah a huge role huge role and it's not fair to constance it's not fair to her children no. and her family to leave these real issues out of the case. Right. So we just wanted to take a little bit of time to really explain and yeah. make sure that everybody has an understanding of these issues that, right. I mean, people to this day suffer. I just had a couple patients that have yeah. postpartum depression and psychosis and yeah. they're it's fantastic very real. moms. Yes. But, you know, the stigma around it. and Right. It's yeah. the same idea with, like, schizophrenia. Because mm-hmm. every, you know, whatever and whatever amount of people... I don't have the statistic in front of me, but, like, there's one publicized event about someone who had schizophrenia who was violent, then there's 10,000 more who have it and aren't violent. Right. It's that same idea with postpartum psychosis. Yeah. And postpartum depression, especially. Mm-hmm. And depression and psychosis, not related to postpartum. I mean, the stigma around right. mental health in general is ridiculous. Oh, that's a whole other... Mm-hmm. That'll be true crime, mental health. Yeah. We'll do a whole other. That'll we'll do be a whole a other podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but um, anyway, it's crazy. It really yeah. is sad. Um, Constance started to receive treatment from this doctor. I can't remember his name. I thought Doctor Richard Chase. Chase. Okay. Pain in my ass. We'll yeah. talk about him more. Pain <laughs> in my fucking ass. Yeah. She. Um, he actually was a doctor who delivered her youngest daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, Deborah, because that's where it all started. Is after she gave birth right. to baby Deborah. Exactly after Deborah's birth, so that's her third child. She started to get into depression. So it was also during this time she was discovered to have something called hypochromic anemia. So that's actually ironically linked to clinical depression. So yeah. they were like, okay, well let's fix this anemia, which if you don't know is low iron levels in the blood. Mm-hmm. Happens. All the patients I see are taking iron. Like it's just pe- people who are pregnant just get low iron levels it just happens yeah i mean your baby's sopping it out of you oh yeah you give birth and you lose a shit ton of blood anyway exactly so this is valid this it is this valid is probably the only part of her treatment that we talk about is where i'm like okay, okay. good call dr chase yes. pat on the back to you yes. great work because he gave her some medications for her anemia and it worked her depression you know seemed to be okay and her blood levels were good mm-hmm. and she was doing okay for a while and then she stopped breastfeeding um, and that's when it started to get bad again. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to get into all the amazing qualities that breastfeeding has <laughs> for both mother and child. As an advocate, I was such a big... I mean, I have to be, first of all, because I'm a postpartum nurse. But I work with some amazing lactation consultants, and I've learned... Breastfeeding oh, the Lord's work. I'm like, breastfeeding is a beautiful thing. And no, my friend Josh one day was like... uh what do they do they just put the baby on the boob and then they just suck and i'm like you have no idea you have no there's clue no, it's not that there's positioning and there's the way the baby sucks and if they sorry guys i'm sorry anywho shit hit the fan when she stopped breastfeeding yep her baby which could have to do when you are breastfeeding hormones that like oxytocin which yeah. is the good hormone um goes through your body and so when you're not breastfeeding it can definitely trigger you know a sadness for many reasons yeah so she was crying a lot now, she was easily bothered, and then this is when she began to experience symptoms of psychosis. 
So this is really scary. So she started hearing voices, more specifically a male voice. Um, so because Constance was brought up so religious, mm-hmm. she was thinking to herself, maybe this male voice is God. Yeah. But she wasn't entirely sure. Right. Um, and there was an occasion, we'll talk about an incident, but the previous Ash Wednesday, oh. before this incident, mm-hmm. she heard the voice loud and clear as day. Oh. And she hadn't heard it for a little bit, but yeah. then it's Ash. So she's thinking, oh. it's Ash Wednesday. He chose me to talk to today. This voice is here after a couple weeks of me not hearing him. This has to be God. Right. right. Why would I not listen to God and what he's telling me to do? I don't know why anyone wouldn't. So right. she, it's just, it's so she, You know, sad. she's psychotic. At, you know, yeah. she's psychotic. Yeah. So this voice, um, it was telling her, it was calling her a coward. Mm-hmm. It was mocking her. And it was threatening that things would only get worse if she didn't kill herself. Yeah. And so she's thinking, you know, the idea that she should kill herself, it progressed in her mind that yeah. she should kill her whole family. Right. So that all of her children could get to heaven. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, she battled these thoughts for months. She really did. And then there was one day in January of 1954, Carl was at work, Constance was at home, and her two oldest were sleeping. Mm-hmm. Baby Deborah was awake and crying, and just Constance tied a scarf around her neck and started to pull and pull and started to strangle Deborah. And when Deborah cried out, Constance like snapped back and was it like, scared her so bad. Yeah, she, she was like, "Oh my god, what am I doing?" Yeah, she was freaked out. She like yeah. snapped out of a psychotic moment, and she you know immediately like you know stopped and she called Carl and he came home and she told him what happened and so they immediately were like, "You need to get like I need help." Is basically what she was saying because she could she recognized that these thoughts she was having were throwing her into psychosis. Yeah, and they're sure. dangerous. I mean. She was able to pull herself out of that, Mm -hmm. but she's thinking, you know, what will happen next time? Right. So she ended up going back to Dr. Chase. Um, He prescribed her um, sedating medication, and he also prescribed her a medication called phenobarbital. They told her she could use it throughout the day, just Mm kind of a little bit here, a little bit there, as needed. PRN. PRN, (laughs) as as needed, (laughs) to ease anxiety. Mm -hmm. He also suggested that her being in a small home with no running water kind of far away from family and friends mm-hmm. he thought that it was isolative for her yeah, which is valid if somebody was. is depressed you know they you know you should be with family and yeah. friends and so he was kind of thinking he'd actually diagnosed her this is what he diagnosed her with quote situational depression brought on by living condition and the lack of a social life so me <laughs> sorry that was <laughs> which is Valid, but yes. I also think that it doesn't take into account a lot of other things that are going on. There's a lot of other factors than just her living in a certain house, like a certain area. Yeah. Um, and then shortly after this, she attempted suicide by drinking the majority of the phenobarbital she was prescribed. Nice. Yeah. Because phenobarbital is a, it's it's a yeah. strong medication. You don't want to take a lot of that. You don't want to take it really, period, unless no. you need to. Yep. Um, but ultimately, they did move from Snow Lake, Maine, to Waterville, Maine, mm-hmm. in more of like a condo, and it did seem to help with her moods and her psychosis. Yeah, she was closer to family and friends. Yep. And it was also discovered during this time that she had the anemia again. Mm-hmm. So they went and they were like, okay, we need to keep up with your iron, you know. So she started doing that, and so she was now seeing Dr. Chase and another doctor collaborating, you know, together in their 
interprofessional team and um, she had like psoriasis or like a psoriatic like rash on her scalp. On her scalp. They thought it was causing like an inner ear infection that wouldn't right. go away. Or yeah. Something. So yeah. it was a whole bunch of things. So they uh, prescribed her something called Selsum, which is an anti-psoriatic shampoo, but it was very toxic. It's like a very toxic medicine. Yeah. This shit was so toxic that they told her First of all, keep it away from your kids. Yeah. And second of all, this is so toxic that after you use it and you wash your scalp with it, mm -hmm. you need to wash thoroughly underneath your fingernails. Yeah. That is how toxic this is. Yeah. You don't want it anywhere near you where it's not supposed to be. Right. Right. This is important for later. Mm-hmm. So February 11th, 1954, this is when, as you said, she took the phenobarbital, the rest of her phenobarbital. Carl was at work. He came home, Constance was unconscious. Um, she was revived via an antidote and brought to, you know, a medical professional. And when asked why she wanted to take her life, Constance claimed that she was feeling more depressed than usual and that she wanted to see if taking a larger dose would help her feel better. It sounds like she, I think she was trying to kill herself, but she now was claiming that she wanted to, she wasn't trying, she was just trying to feel better. I, yeah, I think that was just an excuse. <sighs> yeah, yeah. She didn't want to admit that right. she had tried to take her own life. Right. So, you know, Carl and her sought a psychiatrist in Waterville where they lived. And this man, and I quote, people who were suicidal very rarely went through with it. And he had nothing to worry about. Hmm. So this hmm. is strike hmm. one of many for many, where her many, medical many, team many, many. starts to fail her. Yep. Um, they recommended she go to a state psychiatrist in a hospital in Augusta where they honeymooned, remember? Mm -hmm. She refused because she was worried about who was going to take care of her children. Valid. Okay, valid. For, yeah, I would be... Her husband works. Yeah, no. Yeah, she's genuinely a good mom that is she, concerned yes. for her children and she right. wants to care for them. Right. And at this point, it's important to know she was hearing God again. Yep. Now, this takes us to March 8th, 1954. Um, it was a normal day. Richard and Daniel were up for school. Deborah's only, you know, just under a year old, so she's just cooing in the playroom. I don't know. Carl fed the kids, went to work. At this point, like we said at the beginning, Richard was six, almost seven. Daniel was four to five. Yep. And then Deborah was just under one years old. Mm -hmm. And so Carl said goodbye to Constance, took the oldest to school. Um, Daniel was in like a preschool, so he had a half day of school, and then Richard had a full day of school. Mm -hmm. So Daniel comes home around like noon, and then Richard comes home at like three or whatever. And then of course, you know, the baby's always there. The baby. Yep. And it's Constance actually claimed later that you know when Carl left, she wanted to tell him something. She was like, she could feel that she was going to kill herself and her children that day, but some force stopped her from sharing. Yep. Yep. So on this day, March eighth, nineteen fifty four. Carl comes home from work, comes home to their Waterville, Maine apartment, and he finds the house completely, eerily silent. Ugh. And this immediately upsets him. Yep. He knows something's wrong. Three children, there should be noise. Because when you have three young children <laughs> under the ages of seven, yeah. there's going to be a little bit of noise. Yeah. So he's, he's frantic. He knows something's wrong. He's looking around for his family. He notices Daniel, the four to five year old. He's wrapped in a blanket on his bed and he mm -hmm. looks as though he's sleeping. Mm -hmm. He's looking for the other kids, looking for his wife. Deborah was also wrapped in a blanket in her crib, appearing to be asleep. Mm -hmm. And then Carl goes into the bathroom, 
and he sees his oldest son Richard in the tub filled with water and Richard is face down. And this is when he knows that Richard and his two other children are dead. Yep. So basically what had happened is that Daniel came home, Constance, you know, it was just her and Deborah. Mm -hmm. She had Daniel get in the tub and she, you know, cleaned him and played with him and then she proceeded to hold his head under the water and drown him. And then she wrapped him up, brought him to his bedroom and put him in his bed and he looked sleeping, you know. Then she took Deborah and she, uh, you know, same thing, same thing mm-hmm. till she was limp, wrapped her in a blanket, put her in her crib. Then Richard got home and before he even like walked in the door, she was like, you're taking a bath. Yeah. Yeah. And so he got undressed and ugh, it's so sad because he got in the tub. They were playing. She, you know, she said that they were playing with the, like she was playing with mm-hmm. her son in the bath. She gave him a hug. Yeah. And then she drowned him. Mm-hmm. She pushed on his head. He was thrashing and fighting, you know, because he was sick. So he was, you know, a little bit strong. Yeah. Yeah. And so getting her all wet. And then she said, don't worry, you're going to heaven soon. Mm-hmm. And she drowned him and she left him in the tub. <laughs> yes. So this is when Carl, you know, Carl finds Richard face down in the tub. Of course, she knew that Carl was going to be home soon. So this is when she uh, remember that sell some shampoo that was very toxic. She had mm-hmm. to clean under her fingernails. Yes, she chugged it. And she took an electric blanket, a pillow, and crawled under her bed to die. Except she did not die. Carl came home, found the scene, found his wife, and um, they called the police. And then Mm -hmm. by 5.30, Constance was walking out of there, a towel wrapped around her head, head into the psychiatric. Well, she head to the police station, of course, Mm -hmm. because, you know, she did just kill her three children. And she actually left a suicide note. And the suicide note said, it was so hard to do it, but God told me it was the only way I could save them. They're in heaven, safe forever from evil. I hope you will forgive me. Please forget about all of us. Maybe you don't think I loved them. I did. Oh, I did. My heart is breaking. I loved you and I loved them. And then the note also talked about how she wanted the children and herself to be buried. And like he could sell her rings and jewelry for his own money. You know, like she was giving him permission. And of course, of course, Constance was held for questioning. They were like, what the fuck? This is in the 50s. So it's like, that is the woman's job is to be be the housewife and to raise her children. So for a woman to flip a switch and murder her three children by drowning them in the tub, Mm -hmm. this is crazy. Yeah. Of course, to the police, it looked like she flipped the switch. Yeah. You and I know, and now we we all know. That that's not the case at all. It was a long time coming. Long time coming. Unfortunately, as terrible as that is to say, so she woke up the next morning and she was being held, you know, at the state police and she woke up next morning, not in like such a strong psychosis. And when she realized what she did, she was, she, it said they, she wailed and screamed for hours. Oh my God. Realizing that she had killed her three children. She was in such a bad place because she killed her three children and her psychosis had waned for the time being. Yeah. It's just devastating. Yep. The day after the murders, she was brought to her arraignment and she actually, she pled not guilty by reason of sanity and they agreed. Yeah. Um, Which I think is fair because she was insane with the psychosis. She spent the next five years in the state psychiatric facility. Remember we talked about that earlier, how Mm -hmm. she wouldn't go because she wanted to take care of her children. Well, now her children were dead. So she um, had, and now she had no excuse because she was being sentenced there. Yeah. Five years. That's it. It's. This is just. 
Yeah, so they diagnosed her as a paranoid schizophrenic. Mm -hmm. um, she was committed to the Augusta State Psychiatric Hospital. Mm -hmm. In 1955, her husband actually began the process of trying to get her out of the hospital. So he was a very um, devoted and he loyal was, man. Yeah, dedicated. He'd go and visit her all the time. Yeah. and He loved his wife. Um, they eventually determined that because she had not shown any evidence of psychosis, she would be safe for discharge, and that's why she was released five years later in 1959. Mm -hmm. um, and this is partly because there was a national effort to deinstitutionalize psych patients and True. not keep them there if there was no need. Right. Um, they thought, why hold these people if they're not violent, if they don't pose a risk to themselves or others? Yeah. Why are they taking up a bed in space and state resources? Release. Yeah. And release the Kraken. Yeah. She hadn't exhibited psychosis symptoms for years. For years. She's just kicking. She's, you know, they yeah. described it as kind of like a, a summer camp almost. The activities they did. Yeah. And, you know, it, it wasn't a terrible place. It's right. not a place you want to be. No. But they did. They took care of her. They took care of her right. and they did decide that she was fit to be discharged. Right. And so she was in 1959, like you she said. She genuinely. Right. Right. And so. And Carl, like we said, he was loyal, came and he picked her up and they went right back home. They went to their new house, actually. Yes. He spent all that time right. building her a new house, this time in Fairfield, Maine. Very nice. And then within a year of her release, they wasted no time starting up a new family. <laughs> yep. Constance had a baby named Kathleen. Which, fun fact, is your name, Katie. Yes, hi. <laughs> <laughs> Kathleen was followed by a son named Michael John in 1962. And then Michael John was followed by another daughter named Natalie Rose in 1965. Yeah. And they were a very happy family. And then just like last time, you'll never their guess. baby kind of triggered that mm -hmm. postpartum psychosis again. Yeah. And the voices started all over yep. and the whole cycle started all over with this third baby. Yeah. Well, her sixth baby, really. Yep. And is anyone surprised? I'm sad. I'm very sad. It's I'm not surprised. Awful I'm very sad. That it had to I mean it's just the whole aspect of this case that, you know, we talked about the the first episode in Drowning of the Three Kids and now she's released and she has three, three more, more children. Yep. And the whole cycle begins again because now the voices come back and Yep. And you'll <sighs> guys, you'll never guess the age gap between these children was almost the same. Almost identical as her yep. previous three. Yep. So June 30th, 1966. She has been released from the psych ward um, for about seven years. Mm -hmm. She has the three children. Mm -hmm. One day in this June, Carl comes home from work and the house was silent. You'll never guess what happened, you guys. He had the worst, most terrifying case of deja vu. I can't even imagine. He's going through the house just like he had previously. And he comes across a very similar scene mm -hmm. to what is etched in his memory. Yep. 11-month-old Natalie, or around there. Yeah. Her age is disputed, but less than a year old Natalie, yep. the baby, was face down in the tub. The other two children were deceased, also having been drowned in the tub. Yep. Just like before, she had children that were six, four, and under a year under old. Under a year old, the baby. They were all drowned. Again, Carl comes home to a silent house. The babies, they're all dead. And 
Some there was one source that I said that I saw that said Carl just saw the scene and just ran out and never came back. That's not true. No, that's he, it's not true. But I like to think that's true because I would have been like, Holy I gave you fuck. a chance. Yeah, yeah. The but it, worst case of deja vu. Yeah, happening all over again, and it's real. And he thought everything was fine. Yep. Oh yep, my god. Yep. Yep. So, um, you know. But I believe Carl did run out of the house looking for help. And so he found a priest, Father mm-hmm. Joseph Brannigan. And then he decided to j- go into the house. And he, because um, he didn't hear from anyone. And, you know, so he he found that there was rotting food. And there was clutter and disarray. And he also found, surprisingly, unsurprisingly, surprisingly, Constance in a coma. She had overdosed on pills. Mm-hmm. She had also tried to injure herself with a pellet gun and a knife. <sighs> so she tried to take her own life three different ways, basically, is what... Yeah, she was really trying. And she did write another note. And this one said, I hope you understand, it was the only way I could be sure they went to heaven. And now I'm sure you guys remember at the beginning when I said at a very young age, she was taught automatically under the age of seven, you go to heaven. I just realized that rhymes. But that's what she was taught. Yeah. So now she thought... I gotta do it. They're gonna go to heaven this way. Yep. So she uh, was taken to hospital for her physical illness, Mm -hmm. which was due to overdosing on pills and trying to kill herself, which Mm -hmm. did not work. And as soon as they, you know, she was healed from her overdose, they were like, you're going back to that state hospital and you're never coming out. Ever. Because she was still easily in childbearing age. Yep. Because when this happened with her first children, she was 24. Yeah. And now it's been, what, like seven years later? She's, yeah. uh... 31? Yeah. She's, she's probably in her mid-30s at this point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like early 30s. Yeah. yeah. So Somewhere she p- had plenty of time to have more children. Yeah. Yeah. And I literally wrote in my notes, there was no fucking way she was going to get out again, and she knew it. Mm-hmm. And apparently she spent most of her time in this hospital mumbling to herself. It's just so sad. So Carl, trying to be loyal and devoted, you know, took a vow in sickness and in health. Here we go. (laughs) Right. Blah, blah, blah. He's still trying to visit her. And then he can no longer stand it. He he just can't do it anymore. I don't blame him. She, this woman, his wife, murdered his first set of three. He thought he could start over, build him a new house in a new area. Same thing. It's six children total he had murdered by his own wife. And he stuck by her side. What a guy. So in October of 1973, Carl stopped visiting. Yeah. And Constance escaped from the hospital. And she threw herself in the nearby Kennebec River. Her body was found. She was bloated after being in the water for several days. Yeah. She was found by a hunter. Yeah. And she was buried with her six children, the family plot. Yeah. And Carl passed away in 1990, and he was oh. buried in the family plot with them as well. Oh, that's sad. It's very, very sad. Yep. So I feel like if Constance had adequate medical care and psychiatric care, none of this would have happened. I agree. From the first set of children. Oh, agreed. It's just, it's so fucking sad. And I wish that we could blame this on the time, you know, the 1950s and the 1960s. But honestly, this, it still happens to this day where, like, as we talked about mental health and then 
women, yeah. their mental health, yeah. and moms. Oh yeah. And their mental health. There's so much stigma around it. It's, and it's the like worst. One of Constance's providers, one of her doctors, mm -hmm. um, her sister had said that before this second incident, she had a brief hospital stay, mm -hmm. and she was sobbing oh. before her discharge. Mm -hmm. and she was saying, I don't feel like I'm ready to go home. Yeah. Her doctors looked at her and said, you need to go home and take care of your family. You'll be oh, fine. That's awful. I hope yeah. those doctors are like kicked themselves over and over once they found out that it happened again. Again. And it's so sad because, I mean, even to this day, there's such an emphasis on, you know, go, whatever, go take care of your kids. Mm -hmm. Don't worry about yourself. Go take care of your kids. Your kids right. come first. And there's such a stigma around it that even to this day, if you're having... I mean, postpartum psychosis, people think you're crazy and that you're a bad mother and you want to hurt your kids. That is not true. That is not the case. It is an illness. It is absolutely, an, it's a sickness. And one of the symptoms is wanting to, not even your own choice really, wanting mm -hmm. to, having the desire to hurt yourself or your children. Just like a mom with a physical illness, like um, nobody is shitting on a mom with cancer right. for not getting up out of bed immediately to go tend to her right. crying child. Just right. because it's a mental illness, it doesn't make the mom any less of a mother, any less of a person. And it's it's so it's frustrating. Sad. It's sad, and it just breaks your heart to listen to that. This poor woman could have had so much help and mm -hmm. could have her happy life with her husband and her her and her children. But mm -hmm. and it doesn't explain away what she did. No, it's horrible. Yes. She deserves to, you know, be committed right. and be placed in a psychiatric facility where she can get help. Yeah. And she cannot do these things again. Right. It's awful. So the Constance Fisher tragedy book, um, there was an intro and there's a statement from her sister, Constance's oh, sister. Yeah. She said, my sister Peggy was a beautiful lady, a happy mother, loving wife, and a devout Catholic. She was happy with her life. She loved her husband and her children. They were the center of her world. Please be aware of any mother you know who may be suffering from depression. Offer to take children of young mothers for a time to allow her to rest physically and mentally from the difficult daily job of motherhood. It is my understanding that these mothers experiencing extreme hormonal depression won't usually ask for help. I miss my sister and will never have the pleasure of loving my nieces and nephews. And that was Louis Spauker, Hans's sister. That is so sad. It's so true because, like, you know, her family or Carl, uh, the sisters, they never got, they lost their, you know, sister, their spouse, but they mm -hmm. also lost their children and their nieces and nephews. Mm -hmm. It's a lot, it's crazy loss all around. Mm -hmm. It's very, very devastating. And there's so much emphasis on moms to, you know, superwoman and right. have it all together right. and cook and clean and have the house. And right. I mean, now there's an emphasis on, we have such short maternity leave. Yeah, true. Now it's like- That can be good for your mental health. Go work 40 hours and you know, you gotta be the breadwinner too. And you gotta work and come home and cook and clean and clean the house and play with the kids and make sure the kids are dressed and clean. And mm -hmm. it's ridiculous. It's insane. And there's so much emphasis on, you know, there's such a shame around asking for help. Which is With so your own sad. kids, which is yeah. sad. It takes a village. Absolutely, it There's does. shame in asking for help physically, and there's sh even more shame in asking for help mentally. Yeah. And we see that with this case, and we see it to this day. All the time. It's just, it's All so the fucking fucked. time. It's so devastating. It's very sad. This whole case is very sad. Mm -hmm. um, it's a tough one. It's a heavy hitter. Mm -hmm. 
because it is it hits close to home as women you know anyone who has the potential of having a child mm-hmm. postpartum psycho uh depression also just so you guys know is not s- explicit to women mm-hmm. men can also have postpartum psychosis for different reasons obviously the hormone factor is a little different but mm-hmm. um it's similar to you know the factors of being a new dad is also very stressful, of course. Yeah, or being a new parent in yeah, general. Yeah, in general, it's very stressful. So it's not postpartum depression and even like baby blues doesn't just come out of thin air. There is a right. reason for it. You're going through a very difficult time. There's, listen, I see it firsthand. Having a baby is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I will never get over watching babies be born and watching the connection and the love the first few days of life. But it's hard those, mm-hmm. th- those fuckers need to eat every two hours. I'm serious. <laughs> they eat every two hours, and yeah. in that time, they poop, and they spit up. And they scream. And they scream, and they're, you know, and it's just, it's so much. It's so hard. And it's crazy with this case, because you see a certain aspect of it with the moms, mm-hmm. and then me working in psych, I right. see some of the moms that will come to me when they they feel like they might need extra care, yes. or extra psych care yeah. for the patient. It's not uncommon. No, it's not. And it needs to be talked about more. Yeah, because, you know, I'll say it, I've said it before and I'll say it again, the stigma around it is so fucked and it makes it so much harder to get actual help that you need. Absolutely. And on that note... I think it covers it. I think it covers it. I think we did a solid job discussing how important it is to get mental help if you need it, Mm -hmm. especially for just relating to this case, postpartum help. You do a lot of things with your body, you know, when you give birth, but it's a lot with your mind as well. Yeah. With that being said, I think you guys should probably follow us on Instagram and Twitter. That was a (laughs) terrible segue. I'm so bad at those. Um, Our Instagram and Twitter is at truecrimene. All lowercase. And you can also email us at truecrimenewengland at gmail.com. Please hit us up. We love it. We love talking to people. I say we get a few DMs every few days from just yeah. strangers, and we're like, did you see that yeah, sending us cases to yes. talk about or <gasps> feedback even? I love it. Comments, I questions. It. And also, we appreciate it so much if you guys send us a review mm-hmm. on Apple Podcasts. Give us, you know, whatever stars you think we deserve. We've gotten some really, really lovely Reviews yeah, that just so make sweet. our hearts smile, and we'll send it each other like screenshots of them. Yeah. You know, we, I know we both saw them, and we're just like, "Oh my god, did you see this?" It's so nice. It's very nice. I it makes our day. So yeah. if you have any time at all, please send us a rate, send us a review. We appreciate your feedback. We only want to get better. Mm-hmm. We only want to talk about things that mean a lot to you guys. So please, don't be afraid to reach out to us. Yeah, we appreciate it. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Goodbye.